Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo Review. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Tonight, the Ballyhoo comes to you with a somber bulletin from the world of old-time radio, and for this show in particular. At the risk of self-indulgence when it comes to the subject of Jack Penny, news came across the wire within the last week of a loss within the Benny family itself. That, of course, would be Jack's daughter, Joan Benny. Joan grew up in the world of Hollywood in an era frequently discussed on this very program. Born in 1934, she was adopted by Jack and Mary Benny and raised within a sphere of love and care, the kind that is oft neglected when discussing the children of stars from Hollywood's past. Growing up in the world of a radio star, Joan had what she called a duality when it came to understanding the environment surrounding her upbringing. On the one hand, Joan was a girl raised by two parents expected to tend to her chores, behave, and be courteous as any child might then or even now be expected to. Even with being in an upscale living environment with maids and governesses, those responsibilities were never slacked upon by her parents. On the other hand, it is hard to say your life was just average when the people you would call aunt were family friends like Barbara Stanwyck. And it would be hard to say that life was completely normal when you would have a sway of parties held by Mary Benny that would feature such showbiz luminaries as Frank Sinatra, Van Johnson, the Humphrey Bogarts, Jimmy and Gloria Stewart, Bob and Dolores Hope, Ronald and Benita Coleman, and of course the lovely presence of George Burns and Gracie Allen. So when it came to her parents, they were all at once just mom and dad, while also being the nation's biggest radio stars. And it's hard not to realize you were in the middle of such a large legacy when every night your father would end many of his programs by saying, Good night, Joni. But of course, the world moved ever onward for Joan from childhood to young adulthood where something was brewing for her. The world of classical music. And that is a story to tell here with the help of her memoir, Sunday Nights at Seven. As a child... She marveled at listening to records for songs from films like Pinocchio and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. But on a particular day, she had reached high upon the shelf in the library. What appeared to be an ancient and neglected artifact grasped in her hands was in fact three large 12-inch record albums. Never one to not see what was behind the mystery of an item, she placed one of the records into the player and began to play it. That album began belting out a very familiar tune. That tune was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And from Beethoven to Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, Joan Benny became enamored. She had found her new refuge, the world of music. When asked by Mary what she would like for her birthday not long after, Joan replied to her mother, 
Another Beethoven symphony, please. It became her escape, and for years as she grew into her teens, Joan's appreciation for music began to grow. In particular, her love for classical music from Brahms all the way to Rachmaninoff. It would be a refuge for any time she was low or down. Her father and governess, Mrs. Valance, were not unaware of this. And Jack was a man who did love to see people happy, especially the ones he loved. Joan recalled once of a Christmas where she so desperately desired a copy of the album for the Messiah, having grown obsessed and passionate over the numbers in it from the Hallelujah Chorus to For Unto Us a Child is Born while singing them repeatedly in the school chorus. As Christmas Day arrived, she rushed down, only to find no copy of it underneath the tree. Jack looked on and held it in, with that impeccable timing. As she unwrapped all the presents and found no copy, Joan did not let that assuage her appreciation for what she had received. She hugged her mother and her father tight and thanked them for the merriest of Christmases and for all the gifts. This is when Jack could no longer keep the suspense. Walking along to the kitchen, he casually turned to her and said, Oh, by the way, Joni, we forgot something. There's one more present in the living room. Joni rushed into the living room where their piano stood, and on top of that piano, a copy of the Messiah. The master of timing was also a master of surprise. By the time she had reached 16, she had even began working in a music shop, where the manager, Max, introduced her to an ever-wider world of music. For $30 a week, she would spend time as a sales girl at the Beverly Gramophone Shop. There she would discover the new masters of music, the elegance of chamber music, and much more. It was around this time, too, that Jack had picked up the fiddle again. He hadn't played it, sincerely, in a very long time. Having left it behind as a remnant of his childhood years and early years in vaudeville, the violin had been nothing more than a prop or a gag to further add to the collection of insults and self-deprecation that became the legendary persona that we know today. Bits such as this memorable one. Perhaps we better linger up a little more with the exercise. As you were. Most famously, though, he was called up to the pulpit for his famous bad fiddling when Fred Allen heard a young Stuart Canaan play the bee on his violin at the age of 10 and said that Jack should hang his head in shame. But Jack was longing to return, having been sparked again by performing for the first time at Carnegie Hall for a benefit for the Greek War Relief in the mid-40s, and having struck up a friendship with the violin luminary Isaac Stern by 1945. So he began to practice, and he would practice in the only place in the house that it would be tolerated, in his bathroom. The joke was more than just a joke. Jack's fiddling was not the greatest. Years of no practice had indeed taken its toll, and the scratching from the bathroom could be heard in Joni's room. She would try and drown out the sound of the bad fiddle playing by blaring the sounds of Brahms, but to no avail. Eventually she figured if she could not drown out the noise, she would try to make it more tolerable. Thus she began sitting with her father during these practice sessions, noticing that his pitch was off. As her father would play the scales, she would play referee and let him know where he was off pitch. And it worked. Well, sort of. 
Amongst the litany of things against Jack's favor, his hearing was not great. Joni knew it, and he would tell her, only to hear her father reply, No, Joni, my hearing's fine. I just need to practice. The subject on his hearing was closed, but a bond was forged in the fire of classical music. Now, Joni had something more special to give her father besides a tie and shirt for Christmas or birthdays. They would be records instead, scores of violin concertos, ranging the gamut from the masters to the contemporaries making their mark at that time. They would talk for hours in Jack's bedroom, discussing how a violinist would play one piece compared to how a violinist played the same piece in their way. In the midst of these introductions to the wide world of classical music from his daughter, Jack would be as thrilled as anyone could be, and he would be proud to point out his brilliant daughter. As they would talk on it and elaborate, their appreciation grew even larger, and with it, quite a special piece of Jack's legacy was formed with the contribution from one Joan Benny. She would see her father, over that time, become a concert violinist the only way he could, through his comedy. Incorporating the bad fiddling into proper concert aesthetics, Jack raised millions of dollars over the course of the 50s, 60s, and 70s for state symphony orchestra pensions, musicians' benefits, and becoming a key player in the saving of Carnegie Hall, the results of which can be seen in a 1960s television special, Carnegie Hall Salutes Jack Benny, which would be amongst the necessary financial assets needed to save that hallowed hall. What's more, his work as a comedian in the field of classical music would bring exposure to folks who may never have given the great classics a chance. And while there is much more to it than just a shared love with a family member, it is undeniable that Joan helped keep the fire lit that gave Jack a second career, one that he would cherish more than his comedy in many respects by the end of his life. Years later, Joan had grown up. She married, had children, and moment by moment was taken through the journey of her own life as a loving mother to Michael, Bobby, Maria, and Joanna. Grandchildren that Jack adored with every inch of him until his final days on this earth. After the passing of her father and later her mother, Joan had things to organize. Papers. Upon papers. Upon papers. All related to the phenomenon of comedy that was her father. Amidst the papers related to J&M Productions, contracts with networks and commercial work, and more and more, she went through it all to get it sorted. And one thing stood out, eventually. As Joan would say, she would not pick up this particular stack of papers again for quite a bit. The papers in question were a manuscript called I Always Had Shoes, or at least that was a possible title. Whatever the title, it was undoubtedly the unpublished autobiography of Jack Penny. When she got around to it, the world and aura of her father that she knew changed in many strong ways. She would read of his first loves, of his early childhood growing up in Waukegan, Illinois, and of the world he built starting in vaudeville. But it was too nice. Jack's life was not the type of story that would sell in the vein of Mommy Dearest. But Joan wanted it out there, and she began to write down her side of the story. And within that came a remarkable piece of writing that did not rely on scandal or shock. It was a slice of life from a person with great intelligence and great wit, and how she grew up under the guidance of one of America's 
most popular and most beloved comedians. It's a slice of life that when you read it, transcends the notion that it's just a nice dual memoir. It is a book that gives humanity to Jack that was not completely shadowed in the myth of the stingy, vain throttler of the fiddle that warmed our hearts. He was a caring father who loved his family, his friends, his wife, and being around to love those things in tandem. Joan did what many could not do. She broke down the mythology while keeping it intact. And that's not an easy thing to do when the expectation outside of 50 years is to hear nothing but the grime. She told us all her story, one of a woman who led on not too dissimilar from the normal lives we all have. And when the time was right, she decided to tell stories that she had saved for years. Such preservation is vital, at times even more than the material itself, as it reminds us that these heroes of ours are people, and ones whose stories may touch our own lives. And if that weren't enough, Joan didn't stop there. As the years went on, she would start touring and giving lectures across the country. One would be about growing up in Hollywood at that time, when the age was golden and the stars were at their brightest, and giving a perspective from her eyes. The other may be even more grand. She began lecturing on the history of film comedy from Lubitsch to Wilder, to take what she knew of the comedy world and what she experienced, and to hold up the importance of a genre that is often relegated to the side in the world of art is important, even if you have never heard her name before. Someone would have listened, and someone would have been inspired. I certainly was when I picked the book up when I was 11, and again when I was in my mid-20s and picked up the book again to read a lovely excerpt about a father and a daughter sharing the love of music. Joan left us, but she is not forgotten. Within the last few decades of her life, she contributed her knowledge to the wealth of information that Laura Leibowitz has curated since the 70s for the International Jack Benny Fan Club. And because of that club, there will never be a moment where someone isn't thinking fondly of the great Joan Benny. She will be missed, but we have her stories. And today we have her acting chops. You didn't think we wouldn't share a bit of her work with her father, now would you? Of course not. And that's why the Ballyhoo is proud to present in this tribute, a broadcast of the Jack Benny program from October 15th, 1950, when Joan played herself in a dream that Jack has where he's married to Mary Livingston. For those who are unfamiliar, Mary Benny on the radio was Mary Livingston, the girl's sidekick slash secretary slash comedian slash whatever they needed her to be, who would add fuel to the fire that was the Benny persona by pointing out his shortcomings. In this episode, you will hear of Jack dreaming about what would have happened if he had married Mary Livingston and had a daughter named Joan. You will also hear a performance by one of our favorite performers on the Ballyhoo, Mr. Eddie Rochester Anderson. As we've discussed on the show before, the portrayal of Rochester is loaded and complex with the subject matter that deals with hurtful stereotypes. Within that portrayal, though, is Anderson's talking back and insulting Jack to his face which was and remains unique for its era. There is also a warning for those who may not enjoy careless humor regarding mental health that may find a particular interaction with Dennis Day off-putting, an interaction from that era that did not take the subject as seriously as we do today. These warnings are given out of care and respect to anyone listening who may have difficulty with these matters. These jokes of the era are not within the line of how such subjects would be responsibly portrayed today but will be presented here unaltered for us to analyze in our own comfort 
and to reflect on how the show innovates what we see today and what material we can learn from and grow beyond. Please listen within your own comfort. But here today on The Ballyhoo, we will hear the Benny family together on the air, just as they undoubtedly are now, wherever they may be, with the ability to hug each other and hold each other once again. And who knows, maybe Joan and her dad are listening to a few concertos now and picking up a conversation on Rachmaninoff or Bach that they left off years ago. Good night, Joan. Thank you for everything. And now on with the show. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky, strike, be happy, go lucky, go lucky, strike today. I wooed my gal with music soft and finally won her hand. When I got smart and switched right to that milder lucky brand. In the mirror on my wall, there is a fine reflection. I see big stacks of lucky packs of smoke that is perfection. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky, strike, be happy, go lucky, go lucky, strike today. Enjoy your cigarette. Enjoy a truly fine tobacco that combines both perfect mildness and rich taste in one great cigarette, Lucky Strike. For only fine tobacco gives you both perfect mildness and rich taste. And L-S-M-F-T, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So, friends, be happy, go lucky. Try a carton of Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky. Strike, be happy, go lucky, go lucky. Starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, important things happened in Beverly Hills yesterday. They weren't the kind of things you read about in the papers, but they were important, nevertheless. It all started late in the afternoon at Mary Livingston's house. Oh, Pauline, Pauline. Yes, Miss Livingston. I'd like you to straighten out the house. Mr. Benny is coming over. Oh, does he want you to sign a new lease? <laughs> no, no, this is just a social visit. Oh. Well, I can't clean the whole house. Your sister's still asleep in the guest room. Mm, then skip that room. Miss Livingston, why did your sister Babe make this trip to California? Uh, for the Legion Convention. She was with the Fighting 69. <laughs> So, Pauline, let her get all the rest she can because she has to leave soon and go back to her job. Is she still working as a deep-sea diver? <laughs> yes, and I hope the vacation out here makes her forget her recent loss. Loss? She was engaged to another deep-sea diver. May he rest in peace. See, what happened to him? Well, he was working on a salvage job, 80 feet underwater. Babe walked by and he tipped his hat. <laughs> But Babe will get over it. I hope so. You know, Miss Livingston, life is funny. Years ago, you and I used to work side by side at the May Company. Now you're a big radio star, and I'm your maid. Yeah. By the way, Pauline, can you lend me $5 for payday? <laughs> sure. Here. That's ten you owe me. Okay. 
Now, Pauline, you can finish cleaning up. I'm going to call Mr. Benny and see what's keeping him. Rochester, will you please answer? Oh, I forgot. He went to the store. Hello? Hello, Jack. I thought you were coming over to my house. I'm waiting for you. I'll be over. What's the rush? Well, well, Jack, there's something I want to talk to you about. It's been on my mind a long time, and now that I've worked up enough courage, well, um, Jack, come over as soon as you can. Okay, Snoogie, I'll be over. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. I wonder what can be so important that she wants to talk to me about. She said it was... Hello, boys, I'm back from the store. Good, Rochester. What did you buy? A quarter of a pound of butter, a loaf of bread, two pounds of ground round, our usual supply of canned goods. Oh. And, boss, I think next week I'll have to shop at a different market. Why? What's wrong with our regular market? Well, you know how they charge us less for cans at a bent. Yes. Well, this morning they caught me bending them. <laughs> Rochester, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Bending cans to get them cheaper. I'm glad you were caught. They wouldn't have caught me if I hadn't asked for a mop. What'd you need a mop for? I tried to bend a bottle of milk. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous. Rochester, you're joking, aren't you? <laughs> I was just trying to worry into giving me more money for shopping. I give you enough. Now, look, Rochester, I've got to rush over to Miss Livingston's house right away. I'll be back for dinner. Okay. See you later. Happy go lucky, be happy go lucky strike. Poodley poop 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 poop. Poodley poop poop. See, that's a catchy song. Be happy go lucky, be happy go lucky strike. Gosh, it's been hot the last two days. Temperature's been way up to 104. Sure glad I didn't empty my swimming pool in September. Business has been great. <laughs> Yesterday, they were using towels faster than I could wash them. <laughs> be happy, go lucky, be happy. Yeah, I can't imagine what Mary wants to see me about. Couldn't be about her contract. She just signed a new one. I wonder if... Say, I'll bet I know what it is. For years, I've been asking her to marry me, and she's always turned me down. Now I'll bet she changed her mind. That's what it is. That's all it could be. Holy mackerel. Be happy, go lucky. Be happy, go lucky. Strike, be happy. It'll be wonderful when Mary and I get married. We'll be able to go to parties together, go on vacations together, file joint income tax returns. <laughs> La, 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 I think I'll stop in this drugstore and get a copy of True Story magazine. There's an article in this issue about me. I wonder where... May uh... I help you, sir? Oh, I just want to pick out a magazine. Now, let's see. Oh, here it is. True Story magazine. Yep, here's the article. Well, my picture, too. And it's in color. Gee, look at those 
big blue eyes. <laughs> Here's the story, Hello Everybody, by Jack Benny as told to Joseph K. I was born in Waukegan, Illinois, 36 miles from Chicago. My father had a new clothing store. Oh, clerk. Yes, sir. Give me a package of lucky strikes, please. There you are. Thanks. I would open a store with a buddy named Julius Finnegan. Dad comment was, if you need your own money, that's your favorite. It ought to be that against Julius. Dad and mother wanted me to be a buddy. May I uh, wait on you, miss? Yes, I'd like to check a canasta card and two packages of cigarettes, please. Of what time? Lucky Strike. Yes, ma'am. Tomorrow's my father's birthday. Could you gift wrap a carton of Lucky? Well, I'll be glad to. Thank you. I was afraid I could never reach it. So I was wondering... See, this story's so long, I haven't got time to stand here and read it. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> nah, it's about me. I'll buy it. Oh, clerk... Clerk. Yes, sir? I want this copy of Two, Ma- uh, two Story magazine. Yes, sir. That'll be 20 cents. Uh, here's a dollar. Thank you. I'll get the change. I wonder if I ought to get three of Oh, hello, four. Mr. Benny. Huh? Oh, hello, Dennis. What are you doing here in the drugstore? I'm buying a magazine. Oh. What are you doing here, Dennis? I'm buying some arsenic. I'm going to commit suicide. <laughs> uh, that's nice. Uh, clerk, give me my change. <laughs> Just a minute, mister. Did you hear what he said? Yes, give me my change. You know him? Uh-huh. What, you going to do anything about it? No, give me my change. Well, I'm going to. Young man, why do you want to commit suicide? Well, the girl I was in love with sneaked off and married somebody else. Oh, that's too bad. When did you find out about it? Two years ago. Clerk, give me my change. <laughs> Young man, you say your girl left you two years ago. Why have you waited so long to kill yourself? I wanted to see if Dick Tracy would catch TV Wiggles. <laughs> Young man, here's your bottle of arsenic, compliments of the house. Thank you. Oh, oh mister. Yes? Do I get anything back on the bottle? Oh, for heaven's sake, Dennis. Go home. Yes, sir. Goodbye. You see, clerk? You see? Now, clerk, how about my change? Here you are, sir. Thank you. I can't understand a kid like Dennis Day. It seems that the older he gets, the sillier he gets. And yet to hear him sing, you think he was a normal human being. What a voice. Yesterday, when he came over to my house to cry out a song, it sounded so beautiful. He looked so bright as he was standing there by the piano. I cannot understand this kid. Irene, good night. Sometimes I live in the country, sometimes I live in town, sometimes I take a great notion to jump into the river and drown. I See you in my dream. 
Good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. I'll see you in my was better than ever. But as soon as he got through singing, he turned to me and said, Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Have a nice trip. Then I went upstairs and packed before I realized I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> he drives me nuts. Well, there's Mary's house. I wonder how she's going to go about it. I bet she'd be coy and bashful. See, June would be a nice month to get married. I wonder what I should have for my best man. I could have my agent. He should be out on parole by then. <laughs> oh, well, I got time to think about it. Oh, hello, Jack. Hello, Mary. You, uh, you want to talk to me, eh? Yes, uh, come on into the den. Okay. Okay, Mary. What is it, kid? Uh, just a second. I want to lock the door. Oh, gee. <laughs> well, come on, Mary. Tell me. Tell uh, me. Look at it. Uh, wait, Jack. I want to shut the window. The window? Mmm. That's a... <laughs> the window. Mm, the window. All right, Mary. You got me over here. You locked the door. You closed the window. I gee, what is it? What are you talking to me about? Huh? 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 Jack. I've been thinking about this one subject for a long time. Yes, yes. What is it, Mary? Jack, something's got to be done about your being so cheap. <laughs> what? Is that... Is that all you wanted to talk to me about? Yes, Jack, and I'm serious. It's gone to a point where everybody in town is talking about it. About me being cheap? Just name one person who said so. Well, Claudette Colbert, Danny Kay, Gary... I only asked for one. (laughs) And anyway, a fine bunch they are to talk about me being cheap. Especially that Danny Kay. With that head of hair of his. That guy's too cheap to spend 50 cents for a haircut. They're a dollar and a quarter now. Oh. Look, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, but all I can do is tell you this. You better change your ways or you won't have a friend in the world. Well, all right, Mary. I'll tell you what I'll do if you think I'm so cheap. You put on your best evening dress and tonight I'll take you to dinner at Ciro's. Mm, I'm sorry, Jack, but I already have a date for tonight. You have? With whom? Oh, somebody. You don't know him. Oh. You know, Mary, a funny thing. When you called me to come over here, I was so sure. Sure, you were going to... Well... Going to what? Oh, never mind. I'll be running along. Bye, Jack. Goodbye, Mary. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it's me. What's the matter? Don't you feel well? No, I feel all right. Well, I'll go in and fix some dinner. Just a minute. Huh? Come here, Rochester. Yes, sir. Rochester. Yes, boss. Rochester, do you think I'm cheap? Oh, no, boss, I wouldn't say cheap. A little snug, maybe, but not cheap. <laughs> That's right, Rochester. I don't believe in throwing my money away, but I'm certainly not miserly. I remember last year when I was walking down the street and a panhandler came over to me. He only asked me for a dime, and I gave him 50 cents. (laughs) There they go again. Rochester, I don't feel like eating. I'm going to bed. Good night. Good night, boy. Oh, boy, was I fooled. I was sure Mary had decided to marry me. I certainly asked her enough. See, the first time I asked her was when she was working as a maid company. See, if she'd accepted me then, we'd have been married a long time now. Maybe he will have a family. Imagine being married to Mary. All these years. To have a family. Married to Mary. I'm coming, Pauline. Let him off, please. Let him off. Gee, I wish I lived closer to the bus line. After standing behind the stocking counter all day, my feet are killing me. We sure were busy today, weren't we? Yeah. Hello, Mrs. Finney. Hello, Mrs. Krasmeyer. How are the children? Well, Leonard and Julius are fine. Well, that's good. But Irving, Milk, Pack, Sam, George, Cliff, Bonnie, Peggy, Trudy, Michael, and Sippo have cold. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yeah, and what a time for it to happen. The oldest one starts school next week. <laughs> Well, everything happens at once. It sure is hot today, isn't it? Yeah, this is Indian summer. The Indians can stop already. <laughs> you said it. Goodbye, Mrs. Krasmeyer. Goodbye, Mrs. Finney. As I was saying, Pauline, I'm sorry we had to work so late. I was anxious to get home early because today's my wedding anniversary. Really? How long have you been married to that schnook? <laughs> Twenty-two years. Well, buck up, kid. It could have happened to anybody. I almost fell for him myself. I'll never forget that first day he walked into the store. Has he still got that ukulele? (laughs) No, he's got something worse now, a violin. Oh, brother. By the way, how'd your daughter? Joni? Oh, she's fine. You know, she's 17 now. Time certainly flies. Yeah. Well, here's where I live. Night, Pauline. Good night, Mary. Hello, Johnny. Oh, hello, Mother. 
so busy with my homework, I didn't hear you come in. But, Joni, as a rule, you're finished with your homework by this time. Well, I'm doing it over. I never should have asked Daddy to help me. <laughs> Look, he did all my arithmetic problems, and every answer is 39. <laughs> That's a number that's stuck in his mind. Where's Daddy now? He's in his room. Oh. Oh, why doesn't he stop scratching on that thing? Oh, I know how you feel, Mother. At school, they can't understand why I flunk music appreciation. <laughs> I know what you mean. Sometimes I think that... Oh, oh hello, wifey. How's my little sweetheart today? Little sweetheart, little sweetheart. You don't even know what today is. I do, too. It's our anniversary. It's just 22 years ago today that you said, I do. Yeah, me and my big mouth. <laughs> what? For 22 years, you've been telling me you're going to be a big radio star. When is it going to happen? When? Oh, Mother, don't pick on Daddy. He's such a good cook. <laughs> Darn right. I've been slaving over a hot stove all day preparing dinner. Now, who can that be? I'll get it. Hello. Hello. Oh, Mother, this is my new boyfriend. I met him in school. His name is Eugene McNulty. Eugene Patrick McNulty. <laughs> Eugene, I want you to meet my mother and father. How do you do, Mrs. Benny? No, no, this is my mother. Daddy, take off that apron. <laughs> Gee, and I kissed his hand. Hmm. Uh, would you young folks like to be alone? No, thanks. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> now, come on. Let's leave the children alone. Okay. Eugene. Yeah? Would you like to go into the parlor? Uh-huh. Gee, what a beautiful room. You've got a big radio, a piano, and a television set. Yeah, Mother works awfully hard. <laughs> That's a picture of her on the piano. Oh, this picture over here, is this your father? Yeah, that picture was taken when he was in the Navy. Gee, you must be proud of him. Underneath it says Admiral. That's the name of the television set. <laughs> Would you like to look through it? Uh-huh. This is my cousin Rita. Oh. And this is cousin Earl. And this one here is my Uncle Mert. Who's that tough-looking guy standing beside him? My Aunt Babe. <laughs> well, she sure has a big head. That's her diving helmet. <laughs> and here on the next page is Mama and Daddy's wedding picture. Don't they look nice? Yeah, but why is your father holding that violin? Everybody notices that. He played at his own wedding. <laughs> well, what are you laughing at? As they marched down the aisle to the strains of Oh, Promise Me, Mama had to hold his rosin. <laughs> no. On a pillow yet. <laughs> Say, Joan, 
Honey, who's this cute little girl on the opposite page? Well, that's a picture of me the day I started school. Oh, but you look like you're only two years old. I was. Daddy wanted me to get through school fast so I could go to work. <laughs> I think that's terrible. Oh, I don't mind, as long as it helps Mother. You know, she's been working at the May Company ever since she and Daddy got married. Work, work, work. She never even had one day off. I was born in an elevator. <laughs> Time to eat. Dinner's on the table. Excuse us, Eugene. <laughs> Jack, invite him to dinner. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Then I can talk to him and find out how much money he makes. <laughs> well, we got to see that our daughter marries well. You can't keep working forever. Come on, children, to the table. Uh, Eugene, you sit here next to Jonas. That's right. That cute mother, Daddy, decided to play his violin while we have dinner. Well, Mr. Benny, why don't you sit down and eat with us? No, 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 no. I prefer to play. If you care to express your appreciation for the music, there's an empty plate on the table. <laughs> well, that does it. Huh? I've said all I can. I didn't mind working all these years. I didn't mind you insulting my friends. But now you've gone too far. You were be hurting Joni's chances, and why? Because you're cheap. That's what you are. You're cheap. 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 You hear me? Cheap. But, Mary, I'm not cheap. I'm not cheap. A little snug, maybe, but I'm not cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not cheap. Boss! Boss! Wake up! Wake up! I'm... Uh-huh? Boss, you've been dreaming. I've... Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was. Gee, Rochester, it was the most... I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Mary. Oh, what is it, Mary? Well, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and... Jack, I'm sorry about those things I said to you today. Oh, that's all right, Mary. And I'm going to tell you something funny. I just had a dream that you and I were married. And we had a 17-year-old daughter, Joni. And her boyfriend was Dennis. Uh, was I still working at the May Company? Yes. I thought so. Good night, Jack. <laughs> This is the season of America's most shameful waste, forest fires. Help prevent forest fires by extra care in the handling of matches, cigarettes, and an extinguishing campfires. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. Thank you. Jack will be back in just a moment. But first, everybody be happy, go lucky, and let's get into the spirit of the football season. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky, Frank, be happy. I count the downs and mark the yards reeled off by every back. And in between the halves, I smoke one half a lucky pack. I lead the crowd in rah, rah, rah to cheer the team we like. But when it comes to cigarettes, we cheer for lucky strikes. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky strike. Be happy, go lucky, go lucky strike today. Yes, friends, be happy, go lucky, enjoy your cigarettes. Puff by puff, you'll find Lucky's always give you perfect mildness. In fact, scientific tests confirmed by three independent consulting laboratories prove Lucky Strike is milder than any other principal brand. 
And puff by puff, you always get rich taste, too. All the deep-down smoking enjoyment that comes from truly fine tobacco. Because LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So, friends, be happy. Go lucky. Try a carton of Lucky Strike. Be happy. Go lucky. Be happy. Go lucky. Gentlemen, the part of Joan Benny was played by Miss Joan Benny. And next Oh, Jack. Week... Yes, John. The next time you have a dream, put me in it, will you? I didn't have one line on this show. Well, John, that's right. You weren't in the show. But don't worry. A check will be made out in your name. Thanks. Just endorse it and give it to Joni. What? Good night, folks. <laughs> This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Pod and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. That's R-E-V-U-E. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check him out on Twitch for more of his music. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Be sure to watch his YouTube series, Chewing the Scenery. This is Zach, signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification.